If you got your Bible with us, we're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10, and we'll look at verses 1 through 10. Hope we're doing well this morning. As Jack mentioned earlier, we begin a four-week series on stewardship today. And those of you that have been around Dawson for a while, you know that for the last probably 35 to 40 years, we have a stewardship emphasis every fall where we focus on being good stewards of all that God has given us. And this year, our theme is abundance. And John chapter 10, verse 10, that we'll look at in a few minutes, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full, as some translations say. So God has richly blessed us and not, let's not think of this just in terms of material possessions, but God has richly blessed us in many ways and we have the opportunity to in turn be a blessing because, what he ha- because of what he has done for us. So for the next four weeks, we'll focus on stewardship and specifically we'll focus on financial stewardship and financial giving and what the Bible teaches us about that. Let's look at John chapter 10 and we'll read verses one through 10. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's a story about a retiring president of a local bank. He was an older man nearing retirement age, and the time was coming for him to retire, and the board of the bank decided to give the job to a much younger vice president. So he would become the president of the bank. And so as the older man neared the end of his days, his working days, the younger man decided, I need to go spend some time with him and ask him a few questions. So he walks down to his office and he, he asks him, he says, I need you to tell me the key to success in leading a bank. And the older man thought about it for a minute and he replied, good decisions. And the young man said, okay, I need to make good decisions. And how do I make good decisions? And the older man replied, experience. So the young man, not satisfied with that answer, uh, began to probe a little bit more and he says, and and how do I gain experience? And the older man said, bad decisions. (laughs) And you and I might not be leading a bank, but we look back over our life and we ask ourselves the questions, have I been a good steward of all that God has given me? And we look back over our life and we say, uh, there have been times I've been a good steward. There have been times I've been a bad steward. I've made some good stewardship decisions and I've made some bad stewardship decisions. And we learn from those decisions. And we try not to make those same bad decisions. That's how we get experience and that's how we begin to be good stewards of all that God has given us. Stewardship is the management of all that God has generously given us. So as we talk about stewardship, that's going to be our working definition, that it is the management of all that God has given us. 
We recognize that everything we have comes from God. As the Bible tells us, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't know anybody that owns any more cattle than that. He owns it all. God is the owner, and we are to be good stewards of all that he has given us. And so we often say that, that and a big part of that is giving to the church. That, and we start with 10%, and so we want to give to the church. And that, that's part of good stewardship. But what about the other 90%? That 10% is just part of it. What about the other 90%? Are we being good stewards of all that God has given us? Are we viewing every dollar as an opportunity to give God glory and being good stewards of all that he has given us? The word stewardship in the Bible comes from the Greek word oikonomia. That word oikonomia comes comes from two different Greek words. The first one is oikos which is the house, a house, or in the second word is nomia, which is rule or law. And that's the word oikonomia is the word that we get our word economy from. So it really is translated house rule or house law. And in the ancient culture, in biblical times, the the steward was not the owner. The owner would hire a steward to manage the resources of the house. He was responsible for making sure that all the resources were allocated properly. He was to make sure the cabinets were full of food. He was to make sure that the grounds and the property was well taken care of, that the house was well tended to and taken care of. He was hired to manage the affairs of the house and to allocate the resources of the house. And we think about our relationship with God in those terms, that he is the owner of everything, that everything we see, he is the creator. God, we look around, everything is his, and he has given to us to be good stewards. He has blessed us. He has given us possessions. He has given us time. He's given us talents. He's given us family. He's given us jobs. He's given us day in and day out many things that we are to be good stewards of. And we have to ask ourselves, are we being good stewards or are we not being good stewards? Because stewardship is the management of all that God has generously given us. And I want to ask a question at the beginning of this stewardship series. Moms and dads in here, and I'd even say Uh, older men and older women, what are we teaching the next generation about stewardship? Moms and dads, what are we teaching our kids about stewardship? Because we are teaching them something. We are teaching them something and we are modeling something for them by the way we handle our finances or by the way we mishandle our finances. We are showing them and teaching them about stewardship. As parents, we are the primary disciple maker of our children. Every time your child says roll tide or war eagle, you have made a disciple. You have taught them that that's who we're going to pull for. So we are making disciples in our family, and part of that discipleship is teaching them about stewardship. And so what and how are we teaching them about stewardship? I remember specifically an example of my father. When I turned 16, he helped me pay for a pickup truck, and there was a buddy of mine, and we worked together mowing some yards, and he was a little bit older than I was, and he was about to take off for seminary, so I was going to inherit all of these lawns, which was great. We had about 20 or 30 yards that we mowed once a week during the summers, and I loved doing that kind of manual labor. I still do enjoy it, and I think I'm good at it. You know, I can mow the grass, and I can step back and say, man, that looks better than it did before I started most of the time. And so we, we worked on these yards together, and uh, I used my dad's lawnmower at the house. And of course, our yard was one of the ones I had to do and not get paid for, but that's okay. So we did, I, I used our lawnmower, I used our edger, weed eater, blower, all the tools and equipment. He helped me pay for the pickup truck that I hauled it all around in. He helped me build a rack in the back of the truck to hold everything in place. He paid for my gas. He paid for the insurance on the truck. So he, I, I had it made. I mean, I had a good situation. And he told me, he said, 
I hope you realize you have a good situation. This was the beginning of the first summer I started doing this. I said, absolutely, I get it. Thank you for helping me. And he said, and I hope you do you make good money this summer. But he said, every Sunday when we go to church, you've got offering envelopes. And in that offering envelope, you will put 10% of whatever you made that week. Yes, sir. He was teaching me about good biblical stewardship. And that the first 10% that we get goes to the church or we start at 10%. So he was modeling that for me, and he modeled that with his life. He's gener- he still is a generous man. He has always modeled that for us. So parents, we are teaching our kids something about stewardship, and we are modeling that for them. So let's look at John chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10 and this metaphor that Jesus gives us of the sheep and the sheep pen and the gate to abundant life. In John chapter 9, Jesus, as usual, is in a dispute with the Pharisees. So Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. The Pharisees don't like Jesus because he, he, he does these miracles, and they don't realize that he is the son of God. So they're like, if this man weren't from God, he couldn't do this, but we don't think he's from God. And Jesus just consistently put him in their place. And so in this instance, he healed this man born blind on the Sabbath. So he broke one of their Sabbath laws. So they're upset, they're frustrated, and they're trying to get this, the man who he healed. They're like, who is this guy? And he's like, look, I don't know who he is, but I know that I was blind, and now I can see So the Pharisees are upset with Jesus, and Jesus has a conversation with them towards the end of chapter 9 about spiritual blindness. He said, because you claim you can see, you are guilty. You are spiritually blind. You think you've got it all figured out, but you don't. So then he leads into John chapter 10, talking to the Pharisees with other people around listening. And he uses this metaphor of the sheep pen. In those days, the sheep pens were they were often a rough stone or mud brick structure out in the, in the fields on the side of a hill. Sometimes it might just be a cave that was tucked in the side of a hill. And there was usually only one entrance. Didn't have a roof, maybe a partial roof, but usually no roof. And it was designed to keep the sheep safe at night. So they would, go, they would be out in the pastures during the day and the shepherd would lead them to the pen in the evening to keep them safe from wild animals, to keep them safe from thieves and robbers. And so the shepherd would lead them in there, and a the shepherd would often lay down at the entrance to the sheep pen so that no wild animal or any, any person could get in there without him knowing about it. And typically, there was more than one flock in a sheep pen, so there might be several shepherds, and they would take turns throughout the night keeping watch and laying in front of the entrance in case they fell asleep. They would at least be there at the entrance. You'd have to step over them to get in. And so they would lead the sheep out in the morning to find pasture. And as it says, the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. And if it was a strange voice that they didn't recognize that was trying to sound like their shepherd, they would run because they knew that that was a thief or a robber or somebody trying to exploit them. Just as the Pharisees were not interested in the welfare of the people, the thieves and robbers are not interested in the welfare of the sheep. They're interested in exploiting them. And so the, 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 the shepherds would lead them out to find pasture. And in the evening, they would return to the sheep pen. And as the sheep would come in to the pen, the shepherd would stand at the entrance and he would inspect each sheep. He would look over each sheep. And if there was a wound on the sheep from thorns or from wild animals, he would put oil on that wound to help promote healing. If the sheep were thirsty, he would give them water. In Psalm, chapter, in Psalm 23, that famous psalm that so many of us know of David, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then in verse five, he says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. David's talking about the good shepherd. He's talking about Jesus, the good shepherd who provides for our every need. 
When we're wounded, he helps promote healing. When we are thirsty, he provides for our need of water. He provides our daily bread that Jesus is our good shepherd. He might not prepare for our wants, but he prepares, he, he provides for our needs. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the, way, he is the gate to this abundant life. And let's make sure we don't confuse this abundant life with wealth and prosperity. Jesus never promised wealth and prosperity. He never promised that we would have abundance of material possessions, but he does promise us abundant life. And that abundant life is that we are made right with the creator God through Jesus Christ. That, as, Roman, as Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we deserved it. But while we were yet sinners, God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God that we had in the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, they were at peace with God. They were in the presence of God until sin entered the world and fractured that relationship. And so now that relationship with God is broken because God is a holy God and can't be in the presence of sin. But he provided a way through Jesus, the Lamb of God, a sacrifice for our sins, to cleanse us, to shed his blood for our sins so that we could have abundant life. And that life that we were created for, that is what we crave. That's what we desire. We, we want more than just life. We want deep, meaningful life. We want, we, want to, we want to thrive. We want abundant joy, abundant grace, abundant hope. And that is what Jesus offers in the abundant life. Not abundant possessions, yes, are most of us in this room richly blessed with possessions? Yes, absolutely. We have two cars. We have excess food. We have excess clothing. Some of us have more than one house. We are richly blessed, and we have the opportunity to, in turn, be a blessing. But here is the trap that we fall into. We fall into the idolatry trap because we look around and see, we see what other people have, or we, we see something that we want, and we do whatever it takes to get it. We, because money becomes our God, or power becomes our God, or approval becomes our God. We distort this abundant life by idols that this world throws at us. We say, if I just had, if I just had that amount of money, and I could go buy, and th go buy this, you name it, then I would be happy. Or if I just had this job, or I had more power, and I had more control, and I could tell more people what to do, then I would be happy. Be and then I'd have more approval because people would say, wow, look at that guy. He, he, he must be good at what he does. And so we have that God of approval, that God of money, that God of power. And the problem with all of those things is that Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. And he said that specifically with money. He said, you can't serve both God and money. He did not say that money is the root of all evil. Jesus said, the love of money is the root of all evil. So when we make money our God and we do whatever it takes to get that, then money has become an idol for us. And that is the root of all evil because we've made something other than God our God. And we've tried to find abundant life in something other than Jesus. Jesus clearly says, I am the gate to abundant life. The abundant life is a relationship with God through Jesus. And we even go as far sometimes to attach Jesus to something else. We'll, we'll use money as the illustration. So we, we think, well, if God loved me, then he would give me that amount of money. So now we've attached God's love for us to that God of money. And we've distorted that abundant life. Jesus makes this very clear in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. At the center of this abundant life is the worship of Jesus Christ, not the worship of anything else. The worship of Jesus is at the center of this abundant life. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever that is that we worship, because you and I are wired to worship. We were born with this innate desire to worship something, and it's either going to be God or it's going to be something else. And wherever our treasure is, that is what we will worship, because we'll worship whatever it is that we think will make us happy. Whatever we think will bring us fulfillment and will bring us abundant life, that's what we're going to worship. And so if that's money, then that's money. If that's power, that's power. If that's approval, then that's approval. Because we worship what we deem most essential for life and happiness. And that becomes our God. Now, it's real easy for me to stand up here and say these things. But if you want to know where my treasure is, and if we want to know where your treasure is, then we go look at our bank statement. Or we look at my, my Chase Freedom visa statement. And you, you'll see where, where my treasure is. You'll, see, and you'll probably see that it's food. You'll see where my treasure is. You'll see where I spend my money. You'll see where my heart is because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And in in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, it'll be on the screen. It says, one man gives freely, yet he gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Verse 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, in Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, this isn't telling us to give more so that God will give us more. This is saying that when we recognize that abundant life is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, and we recognize God's generous love for us through Jesus, then how can we not be generous towards others? How can we not give generously to the church so that lives can be transformed by the gospel here in Birmingham and around the world? When we recognize God's generous love for us, how can we not in turn be generous towards others. I don't want to just talk about stewardship and not give some very practical application. And so in the pew rack, every year with our stewardship theme, we have commitment cards. And now we have it where you can make your commitment online. And in the pew rack in front of you, there is this commitment card. This is a great opportunity for you as an individual or as a family to sit down and talk about stewardship and to say, this is what we feel God leading us to give for 2017. And mom and dad, with your, with your children, you don't have to talk specific numbers if you don't want to. You don't have to get into those details. But just for them to see that as a family, this is a priority for us. For them to see that we want to give. Just recently, our, our six-year-old, there's a picture of a, a child on our refrigerator. And she came up to me and she said, Daddy, who's that little guy? He lives in, he lives in Kenya. And I was like, well, I'm a terrible dad, first of all, because that's our compassionate international child that your mom and I have been supporting for a number of years and we think that's important because God has blessed us and we want to support somebody like that. She's six years old and I've never told her who that kid named Anthony is on our refrigerator. An easy win for me as a father to teach her about stewardship and to teach her about how God has blessed us. And that's the same way with the the commitment card. In the video, you saw a dad and a son in, in a restaurant and the kid asked the dad, hey, what's the tip for? And instead of just giving the normal amount for a tip, the dad says, this is an opportunity for me to teach my son about stewardship. So he gives a big tip and the son looks at him and he's, he's just wowed because he recognizes the, generous, the, the generosity of his dad that we have been blessed to be a blessing. Over the next four weeks, that video will continue with different stories of that same father and son. And I can't wait to see it play out because it's a, it, that father takes the opportunity to teach his son about stewardship. 
And then he will continue to do that with his son over the next three weeks and four weeks. Because this gives us a great opportunity to talk with our family about stewardship. Another easy way to talk with our family about stewardship or to prepare as an individual for what God wants us to give is a budget. To start with a budget and at the top of that budget is what we're going to give to God through the church. Not at the bottom of the budget, but at the top to say, this is what we want to give because God has blessed us and in return, we know he owns it all and so we want to be good stewards of all that he's given us. That's the first thing and then all these other things fall into place. But that's the first, we give of our first fruits and then we trust God to supply our every need. It's not we give what we have left over, we give out of our first fruits. So a budget, just a very simple way to talk with our family about stewardship and giving. Another very practical way, and I want to preface this next illustration with this. I'm not a financial planner. I'm not a financial advisor or anything like that, but just very simple stewardship practices. If, if we each look at the money that God has given us as, as these $10 bills, so for every, every 10 of these that we have, if we practice this kind of stewardship that right off the top we give 10%. So why, why, do, we, why, why do we start at 10%? Well, in the Old Testament, God made it clear, God made it clear that we are to set aside a tenth of all that we have. He says a tenth of your cattle, a tenth of your land, a tenth of the grain of your fields, a tenth of all of your possessions, you set that aside to give to the Lord. But if we really look at the Old Testament, there were three tithes, and it amounted to about 23% of your, of your possessions. So look, I'm not trying to tell you how much you should give. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says, okay? 23% in the Old Testament, but the, he makes it clear a tenth. And in the, Old, in the New Testament, it was an understood practice of disciples, of followers of Christ, that they would give generously. Paul says to the believers in 1 first, in first Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, he says, each one should give in keeping with his income. Each one, so in other words, each one should give as he is able. So for some, that's going to be more. For others, that's going to be a little bit less. But we give in keeping with our income. And we have just, established from, from biblical principles, we've established that 10% is the base. So we, we give 10%. And then I, we save 10%. So I've given 10%. I saved 10%. And I've still got 80% to live on. And I, I know there's taxes to be paid. And Jesus talked about that when they asked him. He said, render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. So yes, we pay that, but we, we give 10% and we save 10%. Now let's say one month we decide we want to give 20%. And as we move through this stewardship emphasis on November 6th, we're going to have the opportunity to give an abundance offering over and above our, our tithe, over and above what we typically give to the church. We're going to give an abundance offering. So for some of us, that, we may not be faithful in giving. We may need to make some adjustments and, and give. So that may, be what, that may be a start for us. We may give 5%. We may give 3%. Or we may just establish a dollar amount that we're going to give on November 6th. But let's say for those of us who give 10%, then in November we decide we're going to give another 10%. So we give 20%. Save 10%. I've still got 70% to live on. Now let's say one month we get real crazy. All right? And we give 20%. And we're going to save 20%. Now, full transparency here. Those of you in this room that know me well, you know that I'm cheap, tight, frugal, whatever word you want to put there. I like to save money. I don't like to spend money, unless it's on something I want. But I don't like to, I don't like to spend money. So I love the idea of saving 20%. The idea of giving for 20%, my wife has to work with me on that. She'll often ask me, are we saving too much? And I'm like, save too much? 
I don't even know if that's a possibility. And then I, I say, you're right. We, we need to give more. We need to give to this cause. We need to give to this mission project, whatever that is. So let's say we get crazy and we give 20%. We save 20%. I've still got 60% to live on. For, for some of us, what, what has happened is we've got, instead of 10 of these, we've decided that 10 wasn't enough, so we're going to live on, even though we've only got 10, we're going to live on 12. So we've maximized and even borrowed resources because money had, has become our God. And we thought, if I just had a little bit more, then I'd be happy. That's what would bring me fulfillment. So we, we've maxed it out. And even not only maxed it out, we borrowed some, so we have no margin to give. Three or four weeks ago, Jack talked about creating margin. So we may need to create financial margin to where we can give. And so we might not be able to start at 10%, but we can start at 3%. We start at 5%. Or we can start with $100. God, this, this is what we can do right now, and we're working on being better stewards of all that you've given us. But for each of us to get to the point where we view every one of these that God has given us as an opportunity to give him the glory. And not hold on tightly to this, but live generously, live open-handedly. The way that you and I handle our money and the way that we honor or dishonor God with our finances is a direct result of how well we understand the gospel. Because when we have been gripped by the generous, overwhelming love of God towards us, that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, not because we deserved it, but when we were at our worst, he loved us that much, how can we not be generous in return? How can we not give generously to the church so that we can see other lives transformed by the gospel, to see other lives gripped by the power and the love of the abundant grace and the abundant forgiveness that Jesus offers because he is the gate to the abundant life. Charles Spurgeon, a great 19th century English professor, or English professor, English pastor in London, he tells this story. Charles Spurgeon is known as one of the greatest pastors that ever lived. And he told, he told this story. He told a story about a gardener, a king, and a nobleman. And the gardener was in his garden one day, and he found that, that he had grown the biggest, most beautiful carrot he had ever seen. And he loved his king, and so he takes that carrot to his king, and he walks in before the king, and he says, King, I, I'm a gardener, and this is, the, this is the largest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. And as a symbol of my love and respect for you, king, I want to offer this carrot to you. And the king takes the carrot and he discerns the man's heart and he says, thank you. He says, in return for this carrot, I want to give you a plot of land near where you live so that you can garden more because you are a good steward. And the man just leaves rejoicing. He didn't expect that. So he leaves rejoicing that he's got more land to garden. One of the king's noblemen who's in the presence of the king sees this happen and he thinks to himself, my goodness, if that's what the king would give in return for a carrot, what would he give for something better? So the next day, the nobleman comes in leading a huge, beautiful black stallion horse. And he walks into the king's presence and he says, king, I, I own horses and I breed horses and this is the largest, most beautiful black stallion I've ever had or ever will have. And king, I want to offer it to you as a symbol of my love and respect for you. The king takes the horse and he says, thank you, and he sends him on his way. The nobleman turns around and he looks at the king perplexed. The king says, let me explain this to you. The gardener was giving me the carrot. You are giving yourself the horse. How often do you and I give to God expecting something in return? 
that we give thinking, if I just give this to God through the church, then surely he will bless me. Instead of the heart of the gardener. Giving to God our best, not out of duty, but out of love, worship, and respect to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loved us and gave his life so that we could have abundant life. We don't give expecting anything from God. We give because God has generously given to us and he calls us to be good stewards of all that he has given us. Our stewardship and giving is an act of worship and obedience to the God who loves us and gives us abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not because he needs it. It's not because we get anything in return. It's because he loves us and we give generously because he has given generously to us. Would you stand and let's pray together?